Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Saturday, February the 19th, 2022. It is currently 5.06 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church located right here in the middle of nowhere, Texas. Thank you for tuning in. Now, let me just say right from the beginning, this is going to be very informal. This is going to be just a very informal discussion because here's what happened. About, about 45 minutes ago, maybe an hour ago, I was in my study. I got a notification on my iPad that someone had posted something in the Theology Central Discord channel. I open up the Theology Central Discord channel and I see this. Do you have a sermon or commentary on blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? It's an ongoing topic between my wife and me. I have still the same perspective for years, and I'm interested in your take on Christ's comments, our comment about this subject. Thanks. Now, as soon as I got that notification, I immediately responded, I'll put gas in the car, head back to the church, and do an episode about it. Give me about 40 minutes. Well, it's been... It's been a little over 40 minutes. It's been about 40 minutes. I, I, I stayed almost as close to that as possible. However, I didn't want to, you know, break the speed limit to get here. So I got here as fast as I could, hooked everything up, and we're just going to have a very informal discussion about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, what it is, what it isn't. And if you are listening to me live using the Spreaker app, all you have to do is hit the little chat icon, and you'll be right there live in the chat, and you can ask any clarifying questions, or you can voice your disagreement because you have the right to be wrong. I'm just joking. No, this is a very controversial subject. Not only is it controversial, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding, and I think there's a lot of concern and fear, and you'll see why in just a few minutes. Now, I do have to joke. If you and your wife, if this has been an ongoing topic between your wife and you, and there is disagreement, between you and your wife, I, I don't know if I want to get involved in that, right? Because see, I don't know which side you're on and I don't know which side your wife is on. So what if I say the thing to make your wife upset? I mean, you, you upset a woman, I mean, and then it's, it's, not, it's not a good thing. However, biblically, anytime a man listens to the woman, it, it didn't go very well, did it? I mean, did it go well for Adam listening to Eve? Did it go very well for Abram listening to Sarai? I mean, I, okay, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm just joking around, just joking around because I have to do a little bit of joking because it's about to get very, it's about to get deadly serious because we're going to be dealing with a very important topic. I mean, anytime we open up God's word, it's deadly serious because we're dealing with the infallible inspired word of God. And we want to make sure that we're rightly dividing it handling it as correctly as we can. And we always want to approach it with a little bit of humility. I kind of alluded to this this morning as we did some live broadcasts. I, I wasn't super happy with them. I was listening to them on the way back here. Um, we, 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 we did another one of our episodes where we basically turned the spotlight on a Christian podcast so that you know kind of what's going on out there. And uh, we, re- we reviewed a, a podcast episode. And in there, I talked, to, I just kind of briefly mentioned this idea of discernment, right? You want to discern what is true. You want to be able to discern and detect what is false and what is in error. But 
at the same time, and while you're trying to make discernment and you're trying to say that is true and that is false, you also have to maintain a level of humility because if you, if you listen to Christians, if you watch them on social media anywhere, everyone thinks they're right. Everyone thinks everyone else is wrong. We're right. We've got it all figured out. And if we don't maintain a little bit of humility, we can never grow. We can never, we can never have our, our views challenged. We got to be willing to hear what we think. We've got to be willing to hear that maybe what we think is wrong and be willing to actually consider it. And I just ask that you demonstrate a little bit of humility because as soon as I start talking about this subject, I'm going to, I mean, I already can hear it. I'm just going to say, we're going to consider the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Immediately, I can already hear people are, they're pounding on their keyboards. They're tapping on their screens. I'm like, I'm going to email him right now. He's telling me he's wrong. I'm like, I haven't even spoken yet. I haven't said a word yet. So just, just listen. Let's think and let's see what's, what's the best answer we, now listen, we're going to try to figure out what's the best answer we can come to about what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit based off what's actually in the scriptures. Then we will conclude by just, I just picked a random article on the internet and we're just going to read and see what they have to say, right? And the reason we're going to do that is, we're, is because I haven't even read the article. I just did a search, grabbed it and said, okay, I'll just save it. And here's the reason why I'm going to, we're just going to work through this. If, you, if you're familiar with our Bible study exercise podcast, you know that I like to, I like to take you through the process. I don't like just to turn on the microphone and go, this is the way it is. I like to say, what about this? And what about that? And let's struggle and try to arrive at a conclusion together. And then we'll take that conclusion and then we'll just take a random article and then we'll just read it and see how it corresponds to what I have led us to. I was going to also just pick a random sermon uh, from the internet and just say blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and just grab one and do that as well. But this, this would turn into like a five hour, a five hour episode. And because we are broadcasting tonight on another platform where I couldn't play the audio and review the audio that way. So we may have to save that, uh, well, maybe maybe Monday or Tuesday. Maybe we'll do that. Who's, who knows? Anytime I do anything, it can turn into a 10-part series. So um, I'm going to do the very best I can to answer this question. And hopefully the husband and the wife will agree. I, I don't want to cause any division there. But let's be honest, truth sometimes can divide. So are you ready? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, Probably the main passage or the passage that we will at least consider, I think, first and foremost, we may, we may look at the other one. It's also in, in Mark, but let's go to Matthew. We'll just go with Matthew because I think this is very important. Matthew chapter 12, all right? Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 31 Matthew 12, 31, wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Now you can see why that would get someone's attention, right? Right, because immediately you would ask your question, well, wait a minute. What does someone have to do to be guilty of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? And because once they're guilty of it, this seems to indicate they can never be forgiven. 
Wait, what if I've committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? That means I can never be forgiven. So you can see why this would raise some concern. And I think any good, look, here's what I think. Anyone who's a good Bible student, if they're studying their Bible and they read Matthew 12, 31, they are going to go, wait a minute, what is that? How does it happen? What and they're gonna they're going to start asking questions. If a, a someone who doesn't really care that much about Bible study will just go, okay, so they'll either just ignore it, not worry about it, or just listen to the first thing they hear about it that gives them a satisfactory answer, and they will just move on. But we're gonna we're gonna dig in and try our best to understand this. So what's the first thing? Oh, see, now I'm getting ready to talk as if everyone is here in the sanctuary. But they're not, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do it anyway. If I was standing in front of the people of this church on this Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, I should have just called everyone in the church and say, everyone has to go to church right now. Drop what you're doing. Everyone goes, okay, probably wouldn't have went over very well. But, but if everyone was here, I would, I would ask everyone, okay, we have Matthew 12, 31. Wherefore, I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Does everyone agree? That sounds very problematic and raises some very, very serious questions. And I would hope everyone in my church would be like, yes, problematic, lots of questions. And I would be like, great. We have a problematic verse. We have a difficult verse. We have a verse that, that presents difficulties and understanding and interpretation. What is the very first thing we do, class? What is the very first thing we do? Now, it, you don't have to say, you, you can put what, uh, the thing I'm going to say here is as first, I think most people would forget it and they would, they would say, what's, I'm going to say a second that would make that first, but everyone should at least think about this. The first thing you have to do whenever you come across a verse that clearly seems to be problematic and difficult, and clearly there's lots of different interpretations Throughout church history, the first thing you have to do, this is so important, is you have to set aside everything you've ever been taught, set aside everything you believe about the verse. Now, I use this as a very descriptive illustration. And there's no offense meant to this. I'm by no means calling for the, the uh, injury or, or hurting an animal of any kind, but we are our presuppositions, our conclusions. Whatever we think about a doctrine or a Bible verse that we've learned in the past, we almost treat that like our our favorite pet. We'll call it Fluffy. We're like, oh, I love Fluffy. Fluffy is so great. Fluffy is so wonderful. It brings such comfort. I love Fluffy. Because now whenever I read a verse, and even though that verse is difficult, uh, difficult, I just immediately pull out Fluffy and go, here's the answer. Fluffy is the answer because it's you've been taught it and it's just the presupposition now that you just impose upon the text anytime you read it. And I hate that. So I always make the joke with my church. You know what we have to do now, guys? We've got to take Fluffy out behind the church. We've got to put Fluffy down. Fluffy's got to go. Because if you, if you, all you do is hold to what you've been told before about the verse, then you have no potential of ever realizing that you were wrong. So I say this every time. Whenever I study any passage of scripture, I try to forget everything that I've ever learned about the passage and everything I've ever believed about the passage in the past. Because if all of I do is hold on to what I learned in the past, well, what if I what I, what if what I learned in the past was incorrect? Well, then that incorrect understanding is now going to be right here in the present. So I always in the present set aside all of my understanding from the past and look at it anew. 
look at it with fresh eyes. That's why I never use any past notes in any of my teaching or any of my preaching. I don't care how many times I've studied something. If I come to that passage again, whatever I studied in the past is irrelevant. Because what if I was wrong? Remember, we are all fallible. We are not an infallible pope giving an infallible interpretation. So we have to always start. So the first thing is we have to forget anything you've, forget everything and anything you've ever been taught about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Just set it aside. Just forget it. Because what will happen as soon as I start talking, and if I say anything that contradicts what you've been told in the past, your first reaction will not be to listen, but to argue. Your first reaction won't be to consider, but it will be to debate. That's one of the things that drives me crazy about Christians sometimes. As soon as they hear anything that goes against the interpretation that they already hold to, they just immediately will start arguing with you. Just immediately. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Could you at least let me finish the study? Could you at least let me finish? And could you actually listen? It's like, Someone starts talking about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and as soon as they say anything that deviates from what that person has heard in the past, they just immediately, in a sense, plug their ears. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not going to listen. You can't do that. So forget whatever you've been told about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Let's just set it aside, right? If, if this is something that I'm, I'm now speaking directly to the person who, who gave me the question, if this is something between you and your wife, you and your wife need to agree, let's forget everything we've ever heard about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, everything we've ever thought, every conclusion we've arrived to, let's look at it anew. And now maybe anything, everything I say is going to be things that you've already heard. Great. But at least you're setting it aside. All right. So let's do that. First thing we do is set it aside. All right. And, and I'm setting, look, I arrived here, no notes. I have no note. Well, I'm, 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 I'm moving. I'm motioning my hands over everything on the table. No notes, <laughs> but you can't actually see that. I have a Bible. I do have a, a, an article ready to go that I haven't, I haven't read yet. I do have a, the inter, uh, interlinear, right? Greek interlinear, ready to go with the Blue Letter Bible app. You can download the Blue Letter Bible app and follow along. I do have a Bible dictionary right here. I do have that, and then I have the Bible. So I'm, I'm just going to set aside and just try to work us through this. So that's just a very important principle. I, I hope, I, I know I repeat that all the time, but I cannot repeat it enough. All right, so we set everything aside. Are you ready? Now, the next thing we do, we've got the verse, Matthew 12, 31. Wherefore, I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Well, the second thing we need to do is zoom out, right? We need to zoom out and not just look at that verse. We got to figure out what's going on. We got to figure out context. Now, everyone knows this. Sometimes we know it, yet we ignore it. And because I think a lot of times when people start focusing on the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, instead of zooming out, they zoom in and they zoom in. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, blasphemy, and they, and they just get caught up on that. Let's let's take a let's take a step back. Let's take a step back. All right, let's zoom out. What's going on? Why did, was Jesus just like walking down the road and like, hey, you, if you commit blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, you can't be forgiven. Is it just like a, a random thing that he just <laughs> throws out at, at, at you know at a random time? Right? So uh and so <laughs> 
Okay. Uh, the, the person is responding, wow, I, I, I was just wondering. I didn't, okay. No, uh, to the, per- the person who asked the question now just realized that I was going to drive all the way back to the church. I don't know if that person realizes that I'm currently on the air, but uh, they're kind of shocked that I got in the car and drove all the way back, but they shouldn't be because the whole point of this podcast is ministering to other people. So if you need something, I'll do everything I can to respond as soon as I can. So, all right, but let's get to this. All right. So obviously we can't zoom in here and we got to figure out what's going on. Cause again, it's not like Jesus just walking down the road, sees a group of people and like, Hey, you, if you commit blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, you can't be forgiven. Boom. And it keeps walking. There's, there's context here. So what's the context? Well, I think it's very important. So let's go through this. Matthew 12, verse 22. Then was brought unto him. The him here is Jesus. So let's just stop right here, right? Now you may want to just start writing some of these points down. This is very important. The context of Jesus referring to blasphemy of the Holy Spirit happens while Jesus is physically on the earth. He's physically present, And they are bringing to him people who are possessed of the devil, blind and dumb. And he healed him insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. So there's people who are blind. Dumb is the the text, basically mute. Blind, mute, possessed of the devil. And he heals them. So a supernatural miracle takes place. Jesus is present on the earth and he does a supernatural miracle. And obviously the miracle is so obvious that no one questions the veracity of the miracle. So I just want to make sure we understand this, that in the context of the discussion of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, we have Jesus physically on earth who does a miracle, and we're going to see that no one questions the veracity of the miracle. They're going to question something else, right? They're going to question something else. So here we go. Verse 23. And all the people were amazed and said, is not this the son of David? So everyone sees the miracle And everyone, not only does everyone see the miracle, they're absolutely like amazed. In other words, there's not like, well, are we sure that really happened? There's no questioning it. It seems an obvious, clear, actual miracle took place where people were healed. Demon was cast out. All this supernatural thing occurs. Jesus is present on earth. He does a supernatural miracle Everyone seems to acknowledge the miracle occurred. There seems to be no skepticism or questioning of it. Verse 24. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. Now, once again, Jesus is present on earth. He does an actual miracle. No one questions the veracity of the miracle. The complaint that is now brought forth by the Pharisees isn't, he didn't really do a miracle. He's using trickery. He's using an illusion. He's a fraud. He's a hoax. No, 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 no. They they acknowledge he did a miracle, but he did it by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of devils. That Jesus was using demonic power in order 
to heal someone or in order to cast out devils. Now, that's very, very specific. It's like you're standing in front of Jesus. Jesus does a miracle. You can't question the veracity of the miracle. You look at Jesus and say, you did that by the power of Satan. That means you are referring to Jesus as being basically satanic, demonic, that Jesus is in law, is in agreement with Satan. Jesus is on the side of Satan. Jesus is working with Satan and he's being, he's using the power of demons in order to do his miracles. That's very specific, very specific. You can't just forget, everyone just forgets that context. Like blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So we got we to put that in its, its proper context. Now, here's what happens, verse 25. And Jesus knew their thoughts and he said unto them, Now, first, he's going to kind of give a, almost like a logical argument, right? He's, here's what he's going to do. He's going to respond to this criticism. And I think the first one, he almost provides kind of a logical argument. So wait a minute. You're saying that I cast out demons by the power of demons? Wouldn't that mean that I'm working against Satan? If I'm casting out the demons, Am I not then like going against what the demons were attempting to do? They had someone in bondage. Someone was, they, they, were, they had possessed someone. Someone was blind. Someone was mute. What, what, if I'm casting them out, am I not then working against it? He almost tries to make a logical argument here. And he says, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, is he divided against himself? How shall then his kingdom stand? And if, if it be, and if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. Now stop right here. So first he's like, wait a minute. If I'm casting out devils, basically by, if I'm casting out Satan by Satan, then that this, the kingdom of Satan would be divided. That just doesn't make any sense. I would be literally fighting against what Satan is trying to do. And say, so it'd be Satan fighting against Satan. He tries to use a logical argument, but not only does he use a logical argument, then he kind of, then he kind of asks, <laughs> I don't know what we'll call this one, kind of a, a very personal argument. If I, now this in, and if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. Like, okay, if I'm casting, if I'm casting out devils and I'm doing it by the power of Beelzebub, then your children, now, I don't know if he, I don't think he, we could get into discussion. Is he referring to their physical, biological children? Or is he, in other words, referring to those who follow, the children of them, in a sense, spiritual children of them. Those who have followed the Pharisees and ha- have, you know, been learned from the Pharisees. We could get into a discussion there, maybe what's going on. But he says, if, if they cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Do, do they cast them out? In other words, now if, if someone casts out a devil and you call into question that they're doing it by the power of Beelzebub, well, then that same argument could be made by anyone who follows you or any of your disciples or any of your children. If you accuse me of that, then could I not accuse any? In other words, if Jesus is accused of casting out devils by the power of devils, then anyone who cast out a devil can be accused of casting out a devil by the power of a devil or by if casting out Satan by the power of Satan. So in other words, if you want to go this way, you've got to be consistent. So it's basically an argument. He gives an, a logical argument and an argument of consistency. I think, that, that's, I think that's a good way. Or an argument that's personal. 
you, you can decide which way you want to go with that. I'm just trying to break it down. He's just, he's responding. First, it makes no sense. And if you're going to say, I'm doing that, then we can accuse anyone who cast out a devil that they're doing it by the power of Satan, right? Which would raise all kinds of problems. Verse 28, but if I cast out devils by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Now he's like, okay, now wait a minute. Your argument doesn't make any sense logically. There's a consistency problem because we could accuse anyone. However, if, if I'm casting out devils by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Now, if I'm doing it by the spirit of God, it's almost, he's almost saying this. What if I was doing it by the spirit of God? What if, because if I am, (laughs) you better really think about what you're saying. Because if I'm doing it by the spirit of God, and then you're accusing me that I'm actually doing it by Beelzebub or by a demonic spirit, then you're basically accusing the spirit by which I'm casting out the devil as being demonic. So in other words, once again, they they would be guilty of accusing the power, associating or, or calling the power of God, the power of Satan. They would be almost saying God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus is Satan, is literally what they would be doing. So if I'm doing it by the spirit of God, you're making an accusation against God. You're making an accusation against the spirit of God. You're making an accusation against the true God of the universe. And you're basically calling the God of the universe demonic, Satan, evil. You better be very careful what you are saying. Then he goes on to say this, or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, then he will spoil his house. He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. So he's basically saying, maybe I'm doing this and it's demonstrating that I have the power, have the authority because I've bound, I've, I've bound the strong man. I'm able to do this. Maybe this demonstrates that I am doing it by the spirit of God, that there is divine power, supernatural power. And he then says, if if you're not with me, you are against me. In other words, in this particular case, if you are not with me and understanding that what I'm doing, I'm doing by the spirit of God, I'm God incarnate, that this is the work of God. If you're accusing this work, not being a work of God, but being the work of Satan, clearly you are against me. Then verse 31, wherefore I say unto you. Now he gets very direct. He's kind of offered these arguments. And I, I, I threw out lots of ideas on how to classify them, how to outline them. I didn't want to give you a dogmatic outline. I just want to throw them out there so you can try to organize it yourself. But now he's done giving the argument. Now he's going to give, he's basically giving his rebuttal And his rebuttal now gets to a warning. Wherefore, I say unto you, he's speaking directly to the Pharisees. All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Wow. Now it got serious. Now, let's consider some things here. 
remember, first of all, the setting here is very specific. Jesus is physically on earth. Jesus just did an undeniable supernatural miracle. They witnessed it. Nobody can call into question the veracity of said miracle, but what the Pharisees do is accuse that the miracle was done by the power of Satan and therefore saying that what Je- Jesus is in line with Satan, the spirit by which he did this is really the, a demonic spirit that basically Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God is really Satan. I mean, around that, that's the, the easiest way to say it. He's basically, they're basically calling Jesus Satan that he's in line with Beelzebub, Satan. He's, he's doing, what he's doing is do, doing, be done through evil power. That's very specific. They're literally looking at the incarnated son of God and basically saying, you're evil, you're satanic, you're demonic. That's very specific. But even then, even after they just said that, please note He doesn't immediately look at them and say, you're guilty of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. He just warns them. He doesn't say, you are guilty of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. No, what he says is, I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. He doesn't say that they've actually committed it, but he seems to clearly warn them that they're going in that direction. So I will argue that the blasphemy, for the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit to occur, that you would have to have a very similar situation. Jesus is present. He does a supernatural miracle. And you look at him and say, you do that through the power of Satan. You are Satan. You are evil. And even then, well, Jesus doesn't actually say that they committed it. He just seems to warn them, about it. So would it even require to go a step further? Those would be good questions. Now, let's look at the verse itself. There's the context. I think the context gives you what we kind of, I think we kind of give you the requirements for it to even occur. And I, well, all right, we'll, 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 we'll give some concluding thoughts here in a minute. All right, here we go. Wherefore, I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. All right, let's look up the word blasphemy here, right? Uh, let's, let's look up the word blasphemy here. Matthew 12, 31, I have the Blue Letter Bible app. I would challenge anyone to download the Blue Letter Bible app right now. You can do what I'm about to do. You just click on the verse, opens up the antilinear, You look, wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the, but the ghost, the blasphemy, not shall, not shall be forgiven unto men. I'm I'm reading it literally from the interlinear. And here's the word, the blasphemy. This blasphemy, here is the Greek word. Strong's G 988, blasphemia, blasphemia. Blasphemia, blasphemia. Now, blasphemia is used 19 times, 19 times, 16 or 19 times in the King James, I should say. I'm I'm using the King James, so I'm going to go with that. 19 times in the King James. It's translated blasphemy 16 times. So the normal way is 16 times. However, this is interesting. 
two times railing, like you're railing against someone. And then one time evil speaking. Now this, I think, is getting us kind of close to what's going on because what are they doing? In a sense, they are railing evil speaking against Jesus because they're basically calling him demonic and satanic. The uh, Strong's definition of uh, blasphema, vilification. Now, vilification, that's an interesting word. In fact, let's look up, I'm going to look up the English definition of vilification. Let's do this really quick. Didn't, I didn't plan on this, but I'm, I was getting ready to try to, def, uh, to define it. But then I'm like, well, if I'm not 100% uh, accurate, then that would be really messed up. Vilification is abusively disparaging speech or writing. You're disparaging. You are, you are vilifying someone. You're vilifying someone. And that's what they're doing. They're vilifying Jesus. Hey, you're demonic. You healed someone, so what? You're demonic. You're doing it by the power of Satan. So, so this is getting us an idea of what this blasphemy is. Now, let's go on. Uh, it's blasphemy. It's evil speaking. It's railing. Okay, all the things we've looked at. Um, it's used, I said, 19 times. Um, I've got Thayer's Greek lexicon right here. It's uh, r- railing, uh, reviling, slander, detraction, injurious to another's good name. It's speech that injures someone's good name. Well, you're definitely injuring the name of Jesus if you're saying, that man right there, he may, ca- he may, you think he cast out a demon? You think he healed people? He did it by the power of, the, of Beelzebub. He did it by the power of Satan, right? Um, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty much. And pious, reproachful speech, injurious to the divine majesty. This is all from Thayer's Greek lexicon. Again, you can look at all of this in the Blue Letter Bible app. It's absolutely free. It's a great tool you should have on all of your uh, devices. Um, And then the outline of biblical usage is pretty straightforward. Slander, detraction, speech, injurious to another's good name. They're taking this from Thayer's Greek lexicon. And pious, reproachful speech, injurious to divine majesty. So, if we take the context... For blasphemy of the Holy Spirit even to be possible, it seems that Jesus would need to be present. He would have to do a divine miracle. And then you would have to say, you did that by the power of of Beelzebub. If you zoom in and you just forget the context, what what seems to be required here, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, would be basically you claiming that the Holy Spirit, that Jesus, that God is demonic, that it is evil. You're, you're you're, You're saying that they're evil. You're, you're assigning evil to them, that they are evil. They are not holy and pure and righteous. So let's make it very clear. If you're doing that to Jesus, clearly you're rejecting him. You're not seeing him as holy. You're not seeing him as tempted in all points like we are yet without sin. You're not seeing him as the eternal holy son of God. You're seeing him as an evil, something to be despise something to be hated something to be rejected it's not that you've you you this is but let's just make it simple this would be uh, going beyond just rejecting jesus it's rejecting jesus at the same time of declaring him to be evil why don't you want to believe in jesus he's satanic he is demonic he is evil that that's that's what would be required here for this to even take place. So context and words, it's giving us some idea. 
if we look up blasphemy here in the Bible dictionary, we get this. The act of cursing, slandering, reviling, or showing contempt or lack of reverence for God. Now, I think Jesus in the, in the passage, it's very interesting. He draws a distinction here, right? All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven. Like, so there's a blasphemy and sin that can be forgiven, but blasphemy of the Holy Spirit can't be forgiven. Here's the thing. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit can't be forgiven because you're literally the one who you would need to receive forgiveness from would be Jesus, right? In other words, you need the triune God to receive forgiveness. You need to believe in the triune God. You need to receive them, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You need to believe in them. They're the ones who save you. It's through the sacrifice of Christ. If you're viewing the triune God as satanic, demonic, and evil, you can't be forgiven because you're rejecting the very one who brings salvation, the true God, the triune God. Blasphemy can be forgiven. Sin can be forgiven. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is a rejection of God by declaring him to be satanic and evil. That's a, that's a whole different category of blasphemy. Now, let's go through this. Blasphemy, the act of cursing, slandering, reviling, or showing contempt or lack of reverence for God. In the Old Testament, blasphemy was a serious crime punishable by death. Leviticus 24, 15 through 16. It was a violation of the third commandment, which required that the name and reputation of the Lord be upheld. The unbelieving Jews of Jesus' day charged him with blasphemy because they thought of him only as a man while he claimed to be God's son. Actually, the lawlessness of the Jews themselves were causing God's name to be blasphemed among the Gentiles, Romans 2, 24. But their bitter opposition to Jesus and his gospel, they themselves were guilty of blasphemy. Jesus con- condemned Jesus condemned as blasphemy, they're attributing the work of the Holy Spirit to Satan. See, there you have it. They attributed the work of the Holy Spirit to Satan. Right? So, and again, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, I'm just going to say that you're, I'm going to connect it to the triune God. You're, you're saying God is satanic. Now, specifically, yes, it's referencing to the Holy Spirit. Uh, Christians are commanded to avoid behavior that blasphemes, blasphemes the Lord's name and Teaching. Now, obviously, a Christian is someone who believes in Jesus, right? Someone who believes in Jesus. So blasphemy of the Holy Spirit cannot be unforgiven because you're, you're, you're assigning to God to his spirit. I mean, obviously, if you assign it to the Holy Spirit, you're assigning it to the triune God, one God, three distinct persons, as being satanic and being evil. That's why it's unforgiving. But I think, and, but I just want to make sure you, it's very clear he doesn't specifically say that they've even committed it. He just seems to say, this can't be forget. He, he, he just seems to throw the warning out there. He doesn't necessarily point the finger, you're guilty of it. You're guilty of it. But think about this logically. If you're guilty of it on Saturday, February the 19th, 2022 at 5.45 p.m., 45 minutes later, you may, re, under, you may be convicted and realize that you've been calling the Holy Spirit satanic, Jesus evil, God is satanic. 
And you may realize that you have been in error, that you are wrong, and that God is holy, that Jesus is without sin, the Holy Spirit is holy, that the three distinct persons, one God, and that you must trust and believe in them for salvation. Once you, in a sense, reject that blasphemous calling them satanic and acknowledge the true God, change your mind about the true God, then obviously it could be forgiven. But as long as you're commit, as long as you're holding on to that concept, it could not be forgiven because you are calling the Holy Spirit, you're calling them satanic. That's the concept there. And I don't think that that is doing it. I think I'm being very consistent with the text, with the context. And I think I'm being very, uh, I think I'm being very consistent with the meaning of the words themselves. Now let's take what I just said, and we'll just read a random article that I found on the internet. What is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? The concept of the blasphemy against the Spirit is mentioned in Mark 3, 22 and 30. Mark, Mark uh, let me read it again. Mark 3, 22 through 30, right? Not just 20, in verse 22 and verse 30, that entire section, verses 22 through 30 and Matthew 12, 22 through, th- through 32. Jesus had just performed a miracle, all right? Now, let's go back. So they're acknowledging the context. I mean, they have to acknowledge the context because the context is the context. See, that's why we always zoom out and go for that context because no one can argue about the context. Jesus performed a miracle. He's physically on earth. A demon-possessed man was brought to Jesus and the Lord cast the demon out, healing the man of blindness and muteness. The eyewitnesses to this exorcism began to wonder if Jesus was indeed the Messiah. They had been waiting for a group of Pharisees hearing the talk of the Messiah quickly quashed any budding faith in the crowd. It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons, they said. Matthew 12, 24. Jesus rebuts the Pharisees with some logical arguments. That's what I said. uh, For why he is not casting out demons in the power of Satan. Then he speaks of the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. Now, that's interesting. They're using a translation there that doesn't use blasphemy the first time. It just uses sin and slander. But blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come, verses 31 to 32. Now, we didn't read the next verse, right? That's okay. That, that may add something to it. I, I did that on purpose because I, knew, I, 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 because I wanted to stop there to, to hopefully give everyone else would keep going and then ask the question, but they're going to bring it up. All right, but that's all right. Here we go. The term blasphemy may be generally defined as defiant irreverence. The term can be applied to such sins as cursing God or willfully disregarding things relating to God. Blasphemy is also attributed to some evil to God or denying him some good that we should attribute to him. This particular case of blasphemy, however, is called the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. The Pharisees, after witnessing an irrefutable proof that Jesus was working miracles and the power of the Holy Spirit, claimed instead that the Lord was possessed by a demon. Matthew 12, 24. Notice in Mark 3, 30, Jesus is very specific about what the Pharisees did to commit blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Let's look at Mark 3, 
30. Now, they, they're going with the idea that they did commit blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, that they were guilty of it. That's, that's the way they're approaching it. Okay. I, I, I'm saying that it's a warning that I don't know if Jesus is specifically saying that they are. We could have a disagreement there. That's okay. Mark chapter 3. Um, let's go here, verse 30. All right, uh, let, we'll go back to verse 28. Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men and blasphemies wherever soever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation because they said he hath an unclean spirit. That makes it very clear what they've done. They, they were accusing him of having a demon. Now, they read that to say that that means that they had committed it. I think you could also read that, that he said this warning them because they were accusing him of having an impure spirit. Whether we could have a debate, did the Pharisees commit it? Did they not commit it? You, I think ultimately, whether we disagree on that, it's not really that important. Whether, I mean, because I mean, it's, it's really, it's irrelevant in the sense that we're in 2022. I can sit there and go, they committed it. They didn't commit it. They, God knows if they committed it and they dealt with whatever punishment they received when they died. That, that's then. What we have to determine for us in 2022 is what did they do to commit it? Well, if they did commit it, it's because they accused basically Jesus of having a demon. And if you accuse him of being demon-possessed, clearly he's not the eternal son of God. Clearly he's not God in the flesh. Clearly he's, so you're denying Jesus' deity. You're denying that is without sin. You're denying, you're denying that you're, you're, you're accusing, obviously if he, if he did it by the spirit of God, you're accusing really then the Holy Spirit of being demonic. You're basically accusing the triune God of being evil. That's, that's really where you're going if you just think about it logically. Now, Here's what they say. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit has to do with accusing Jesus Christ of being demon-possessed instead of spirit-filled. This particular type of blasphemy cannot be duplicated today. All right. Here's what I would say. It cannot be duplicated in the exact same way because Jesus is not physically present on the earth and you can't watch him physically, you know, perform a miracle with him present there. So it cannot be duplicated in that way. I will say that someone could argue that someone could say, Jesus is satanic. Jesus has a de- had a demon. Someone could make the same accusation today. Would that be blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Well, I think we could say it is right? I think technically you could say that it is. And that clearly can't be forgiven unless one then changes their mind about Jesus, about God, and in a sense changes their mind in regards to that and believe on him as being the eternal son of God without sin. So we, we could possibly have a little bit of a disagreement there. They go on to say the Pharisees were in a unique moment in history. They had the law and the prophets. They had the Holy Spirit stirring in their hearts. They had the son of God himself standing right in front of them. And they saw with their own eyes, the miracles he did. Never before in history of the world and never since has so much divine light been granted to men. 
If anyone should have recognized Jesus for who he was, it was the Pharisees, yet they chose defiance. They purposely attributed the work of the Spirit to the devil, even though they knew the truth and had the proof. Jesus declared their willful blindness to be unpardonable. Their blasphemy against the Holy Spirit was their final rejection of God's grace. They had set their course, and God was going to let them sell into perdition unhindered. Okay. Again, um, I think there may be a little bit of speculation there. Here's what we know. They clearly attribute it. I, I, I try my best to stick with what the text says. When it comes to these controversial passages, you, you got to be careful going beyond what the text shows. They make the claims. Jesus warns them about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So clearly blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, I think we can safely say, is attributing Jesus as being, having a, a demon, that the Holy Spirit is demonic, that, that, that there's, there's, there, you're associating God with evil. I don't know what happened to, the, to those Pharisees after. I, I can't speak for them. I, I don't know what happened to them after. I don't know if any of them realized, wait a minute, what did we just do? We attributed evil to the Messiah. We attributed, attributed evil to the eternal son of God. I was wrong. I changed my mind and I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Right? I mean, are you saying that, that was, it's impossible that once you've committed that? Now, someone said, well, it says you can't be forgiven. Right. As long as you hold to that, you can't be forgiven because you're rejecting the source of salvation. If you're continuing to say, here's the source, it would be, it would be like, uh, you're trapped in a building. You're trapped in a building. It's on fire, right? I mean, and you've got some like part of the ceiling has fallen and your leg is trapped and, and the house is on fire. And here comes a fireman and he comes in the door and he, he, he lifts up. He's trying to lift up the, the board that's over your leg and you shove him out of the way. Get away from me. You're evil. You're a serial killer. Get out, get out. And you will not let the fireman lift that thing off your leg. You keep pushing him away, pushing him away. Maybe you've got some, a weapon in your hand and and he has to back out he can't he cannot help you he cannot help you now i know obviously there's, there's there's some there's some flaws here with this illustration because obviously jesus is the eternal sovereign son of god who can save whomever he wants obviously but i'm saying that if you're rejecting the one who can save you then you cannot be saved and if you are refer, referring to jesus as satanic and evil you're rejecting him as savior All right. They go on to say, Jesus told the crowd that the Pharisees blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age nor in the age to come. They point Matthew 12, 32. Let's go back to Matthew 12, 32. Matthew 12, 32. Matthew 12, verse 32. Whoever speaketh a word against the son of man, it shall be forgiven. But whoever shall speak against the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Well, I, I, I can agree that if, you, if, you're, if you're basically saying the Holy Spirit is satanic and that Jesus is possessed with a demon, then obviously there's no forgiveness because you're rejecting the very source of salvation. Like if you reject the source of salvation, let, let, I think we can all establish this, right? No matter what controversy we end up with, we can all say this. I think this is obvious. If you reject the, the, the source of salvation, there can be no salvation, right? There is, the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. It is through the triune God, right? 
Now, we're going to circle back to something in just a minute because um, well, there's something I keep leaving out, but we'll, we'll get back to it. I know some of you are probably arguing, but what about, I know, I know, we'll get there. All right, um, let's see here. Um, so Jesus told the crowd that it will not be forgiven. This is another way of saying that the, their sin would never be forgiven ever. Not now, not in eternity. As Mark twelve, uh, Mark 3.29 puts it, they are guilty of an eternal sin well, because they, they have rejected the source of salvation. You reject the source of salvation, there is no salvation. Okay, there, it's just that simple. The immediate result of the Pharisees' public rejection of Christ and God's rejection of them is seen in the next chapter. Jesus, for the first time, told them many things in parables, Mark 13, 3, Mark 4, 2. The disciples were puzzled at Jesus' change of teaching method, and Jesus explained his use of parables. Because the knowledge of the secret of the, of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. Jesus began to veil the truth with parables and metaphors as a direct result of the Jewish leader's official denunciation of him. Again, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit cannot be repeated today, although some people try. Jesus Christ is not on earth. He is seated at the right hand of God. No one can personally witness Jesus performing a miracle and then attribute that power to Satan instead of the Spirit. Now, I got no problem with that argument. It can't be done today because, in other words, if you say it's required for Jesus to be present physically, then I agree. It cannot be committed. If you say, well, Jesus doesn't have to be physically present, but if you attribute Jesus being satanic, God being satanic, the Holy Spirit being satanic, well, clearly that can't be forgiven because you're rejecting the source of salvation. Right? I mean, if the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is basically a renunciation, a rejection of Christ— well, the rejection of Christ still occurs today and anyone who rejects Christ cannot be forgiven. If you reject Christ, you can't be forgiven because salvation is only found in him. So you got to be careful because, because you got to be careful because he says every other sin can be forgiven. Well, every other sin can only be forgiven if you don't reject salvation, right? If you reject Christ, it can't be forgiven. So I, I think rejection of Christ has to be connected with the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, right? I, 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 I think that there's some, some, something at least to consider there. Um, and I do think it is it's interesting in the next chapter, he's, he goes to parables, which were really not there to clarify, but in many cases to hide. I think that's the truth. I think that's very interesting. All right. Uh, they go on. The unpardonable sin today is the state of continued belief. The spirit currently convicts the unsaved world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. To resist that conviction willfully and remain unrepentant is to blasphemy the spirit. Okay, right. right. So, and so in a sense, it can happen today, just not in the exact same way. So they said it can't happen today, and then they turn around and say, well, the unpardonable sin today is continued unbelief. The spirit currently convicts the unsaved world of righteousness and judgment to resist that conviction and willfully remain unrepentant is to blaspheme the spirit. There is no pardon either in this age or in the age to come for a person who rejects the Spirit's promptings to trust in Jesus and dies in unbelief. Exactly. So it can occur today. It just can't occur the same way. The same concept is present though. You're rejecting salvation. They rejected salvation in a very over-the-top way. You're doing miracles by the power of Satan. 
Okay, well, yeah, it may not happen that exact same way, but the concept is the same. You're rejecting salvation. Um, let's see here. The love of God is evident for God so loved the world that he gave his only son for whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And the choice is clear. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him. Now, what's interesting, the only thing that kind of throws maybe a little bit of a, a little bit of difficulty in this. And I purposely avoided it because I still think everything that we've talked about here, we've, I think we've laid out a pretty clear case of what it is and how it would even be applicable today. But Matthew 12, verse 32 throws just a little bit of a kind of a snag in all of this, all right? Whosoever shall speak a word against the son of man, it shall be forgiven. But whoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Now, the article doesn't mention anything here. It is, it's hard for me to wrap my mind exactly around what Jesus is trying to draw the distinction of here. He, he's almost, hey, if, if you say something bad about the son of man, that's okay. But if you say something bad about the, the spirit, then you can't be forgiven. That seems to be really related to that present, that, that situation at that time. And, and let me explain why. What they're doing is, is they're saying that what Jesus did, he did, did it by a spirit that was demonic. So, so in other words, if you say, well, Jesus is this and Jesus is that, that's one thing. But if you say the Holy Spirit is demonic, that's specifically what they were doing. So, so they may have said negative things about Jesus. That could be forgiven. But in this case, they were literally saying the Holy Spirit is demonic. That was very much in line with what they were doing. Um, the reason I struggle with this is like, well, wait a minute. Um, why? So if you say Jesus is, say, like, are, are you saying you can just say certain bad things about Jesus, but if you go so far to say Jesus has a demonic spirit, then that's going too far. Um, I mean, both would be rejection of Jesus. Um, it, it's very interesting. I'm, I'm going to look something up really quick. That's the, that's the one verse that throws just a little bit, just a little bit of, of confusion there. I'm going to look something up here. I doubt any of the commentaries are going to do much help here. If they draw a distinction between those two, I'm just going to look this up here. Um, I'm, I'm, first, I'm looking at all the English translations. All right. Um, uh, let's see here. Does this help? Absolutely. All right. Okay. Um, I'm going to read a little bit here from the pulpit commentary. Our Lord applies the general principle of verse 31, blasphemy against himself. This might be comparatively speaking innocuous if it was, if it was merely, okay, the, the page just reloaded. Let me read this again. Our Lord applies the general principle of verse 31 to blasphemy against himself. This might be comparatively speaking innocuous if it, if it was merely defamation or detraction of him as a man. 
But if on the other hand, it referred to his work in such a way as to mean a real detraction of God's actions considered as divine, it indicated a state of feeling which did not admit of forgiveness. All right. So I think what they're saying, if you, if you say something negative about Jesus and his humanity, right, so, as the son of man, that's one thing. But if you go after his divine character, if you go after his divinity, then there's no hope for forgiveness, right? It, it, I, I don't know if that completely works, but I, I kind of see the emphasis here is by going, by saying that what he's doing is demonic, you're really going after his deity. So what he's really saying is if you deny his deity here, there can be no forgiveness is what they seem to be saying. They go on to say, if it be asked whether the individual Pharisees referred to in verses 24 through 28 had committed this sin, the answer depends on whether they had recognized the hand of God as such and had notwithstanding willfully rejected it. If they had, as our Lord's tone seems to imply, they had in fact committed it. Yet they may afterwards have repented and so have come under a different category. Whoever speaks a word against the son of man, his birth, the circumstances of his life on earth, or his decisions respecting to the Sabbath or meats, or his disregard of the conventions of his time, his treatment of sinners and publicans, all such things must have been included in those which St. Paul once blasphemed, 1 Timothy 1.13. It shall be forgiven him, but whoever speaketh such a word against the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him. All right? Uh, they... Uh, so, again, I'm not reading here if they say anything else. Well, that don't go into a lot of detail here. So what it, what it seems to mean, if you say things about Jesus, like, well, Jesus didn't follow this tradition and he didn't do this and he didn't. In other words, some of the things that the Jews complained about Jesus as a man, those could be forgiven. But if you went after the fact that he is, and if you go with the concept that he is demonic, he is not deity, that cannot be forgiven. That seems to be the distinction that has to be made in that next verse. I tried to avoid that at first because that's where maybe there's a little bit of difficulty, but generally speaking, I know this is an impromptu one hour now <laughs> discussion. Yeah, this someone made a joke in the Discord channel that, uh, that I'm incapable of very simple answers. I think this demonstrates I'm incapable, but I mean, do you want a simple answer for something as serious as blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Here's what we can say. I'll try to end with this in summary. The context in which this warning is given cannot be repeated now. That is fact. Jesus is not present. You cannot watch him do a physical miracle with him physically present and then physically look at him and say, you did that by the power of the devil, right? That cannot be repeated. I completely agree. The basic understanding of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to refer to the spirit, basically to refer to Jesus, really in a sense, I mean, it's hard. You can't really just separate them you're referring to the triune God as being demonic and satanic. And by doing that, you're rejecting salvation. So in, in, in a different way, that still can occur today because you're rejecting salvation. And if you reject salvation and the source of salvation, there cannot be salvation. The next verse seems to indicate a distinction about the things they could say. They could, there's some things they could say about Jesus as a man that could be forgiven. But if they rejected his deity, and basically said that he was satanic and that the spirit was demonic that he had in him 
and that the divine supernatural work he did as God was really evil, that could not be forgiven, which of course it couldn't be because you're rejecting Jesus as God. You're rejecting the triune God. You're rejecting, you're rejecting salvation again. That seems to be the best understanding we can have. Did they commit it? I don't know. I don't know if they actually committed it. If they did commit it, did they, in a sense, repent, change their mind about that entire thing later? Could have been. I don't think we can be so dogmatic about it. We can be dogmatic about what blasphemy means. We can be dogmatic about exactly what was going on. We can be dogmatic that those situations cannot be. Uh, All right, here we go. Uh, Someone just asked the following question. What about saying people who speak in tongues and flop on the floor and the like, saying that this is not the Holy Spirit, saying maybe it's a demonic spirit or at least delusion? Is that out of line? A short answer is fine. Okay, now, this is very important. If, now, I'm not going to say, now, we got to be careful here, but I think that the obvious question, first and foremost, the people falling on the floor, doing those things, If that's really the work of the Holy Spirit, if that's really the work of the Holy Spirit, and we are saying that that is not the Holy Spirit, that's a deep, that's demonic. And it really is the Holy Spirit. We're getting, we're getting in, we're getting close to danger, right? Because we're attributing a work of God as being satanic. Now, first of all, we would have to demonstrate that that's actually the work of God. And I think in many cases we could demonstrate that that's not the work of God because there's nothing in the Bible that would ever say that that's what the work of God looks like. Um, but it, it would be similar, right? That, that you see something that is actually the work of God and you attribute it to demonic spirit. That would be getting close because you, now, now the question would be, are you just mistaken? Or are you really basically calling God satanic and God evil? gets into it. The The argument is that the Pharisees knew better, that they knew better. So they weren't just making a mistake. They were willfully rejecting the truth. You, you can try to draw a distinction there. There's not an easy answer. I would just say that when I, when I see those things happening in many charismatic circles, that there's nothing biblical about what they're doing. Therefore, I'm going to say that's not, that there's nothing in the Bible that would reveal that that's the way the spirit of God works. What they call tongues does not in any way match what I believe the the biblical gift of tongues is, which is the supernatural ability to speak a known language. So I think you can call that into question, but I think it should make us always hesitant. And I'm I'm glad you kind of brought up the question. We always need to be careful before we start accusing something of being satanic. We want to be very careful because we don't want to speak and accuse the work of God as being satanic if it is not. That's that is a that is that, that is a good that is a great question. Someone else just said good question. That is a great great question, um, and I think that it just causes us to be very humble and very very careful what we call satanic. Now, I still would <laughs> argue that what goes on in the charismatic world is not only questionable. I, I, I probably have even called it demonic, but I do. I like. I mean, that's a very logical question. It will cause me now to rethink and be maybe a little bit more humble before I start saying things are demonic. Because if I'm not 100% sure, I don't ever want to accuse the work of God as being demonic. So I would would say this. It's always best that when we see something is to say it's not biblical. 
it's not godly before we start immediately accusing it of being satanic. I think maybe you just offered a very good little, uh, maybe a, a slight rebuke to a lot of people there. So thank you for that question. That's something we may have to explore in the next impromptu podcast <laughs> that I do. There you have it, an hour and seven minutes. I hope that was beneficial. I, th- I took that apart as well as I could, and uh, we'll see if it generates more questions. Um, for those who are listening on whatever platform you're listening to us on this evening, you can email me at newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. And I will uh, do my best to answer your question. Um, one of the reasons I wanted to answer this tonight, not only because I feel that if you're, if you're doing a, a theology podcast and people have a question, you always want to respond to them as soon as possible because your job is to minister to people. Your, your job is not about you. Um, it's not about you. But uh, so, so one, I wanted to respond to as soon as possible. But two, I just know that there's, all, there's always a million things to do on any given day. And like even earlier today, when we did the, the Christian Spotlight episode on the Fundamental Baptist podcast, that turned into two plus hours that never was intended to turn into two plus hours. So I never know what the next thing is going to turn into. So I know that when people ask a question, answer it immediately, respond to them immediately, because first, that's my job, minister to people. And second, um, if I don't do that, then it, w- then it will get delayed. And the further it gets delayed, then the less likely I'll get to it, which then I'm not actually doing what I need to do to minister to people. Because I know one of the people listening live, he's probably asking, when are you going to do the next part of the Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis? Exactly. So I got to get to that. So there you go. A lot of interesting things. And, oh, I do want a quick follow-up. If you did listen to the Christian podcast spotlight episodes that we did today, I think it was part five and part six. Uh, from the Fundamental Baptist podcast, one of our listeners did email that podcast to say, hey, you're talking about this new theology that you supposedly heard on a podcast. Could you give us the name of the podcast so that we could go listen to it for ourselves? Um, if they respond, we will immediately go find what they were supposedly talking about, and we will review that in detail because I don't know what in the world's going on there. It, that thing, I was so frustrated by the, I'm glad we listened to it, but I, sometimes when we do those kinds of reviews, I, sometimes I, I get done and I'm like, man, that didn't, that didn't go the, the way I wanted it to go. And I know it's my own fault because if I listened to it first, I could avoid those situations, but I don't ever want to listen to them first because then I'm rehearsing my responses and I don't like to do that. I like it to be very organic and real. Like, hey, let's listen to this. We're going to turn our spotlight onto this podcast. Let's listen to it together for the first time and see if there's a podcast you want to continue to subscribe to. So um, there you go. And to the person who said, thank you. um, Thank, I hope that was helpful. I truly do. And to anyone else who was listening, I hope that was helpful tonight. I know I didn't answer every question, but I think I did as, as, I did as good a job as I could for an impromptu uh, podcast. There you have it. So I hope it was beneficial because, well, it's, a, it's about a 20-minute drive here and a 20-minute drive home. So I hope, I, I hope my 40 minutes of driving this evening 
will prove to be uh, beneficial. And if uh, gas prices continue to go up, um, you're going to get one podcast every six months. Okay, because what in the world is I, when I pulled up at the gas pump today, I was like, it was three dollars and 40 cents a gallon. I think it was something crazy. I'm like, what? No, 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 no. I have I have podcasts to do. But um, yeah, so pray that, that not just for for me, for everyone, gas prices go back down because that's, uh, you know, there's some people who drive great distances to get to church. And I've got people who drive 30 minutes, 35 minutes to get to church. Um, used to be someone drove all the way from San Angelo to get to church. That's what, uh, 80 miles, I think. So we've had people draw, drive great distance. That, 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 that really cuts down when, uh, when that's happening. So uh, there's probably lots of churches that will be worried about that. So, all right, everyone have a great Saturday evening. Uh, tomorrow, 10 a.m. Uh, Sunday school, and then 11 a.m. We'll go, we're going to go back to the, uh, the order of God's decrees. Um, and we're going to try to put that all back together. And then we'll introduce tomorrow uh, the next week's Bible study exercise. We'll be doing that probably for the morning worship service. And it's going uh, to flow right from bitterness to another very important thing that we see in Genesis chapter 50. So we'll be doing that tomorrow as well. And then hopefully Sunday evening, we're going to have an in-person service. So I won't probably be able to do all the podcasts I typically do on Sunday. So um, that's another reason I wanted to answer this question tonight, because I knew that I may not get to it tomorrow. But all of those will be live broadcast. uh, So tune in. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Everyone have a great night. God bless.